Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. Sometimes in boxing, you can have what's known as a split decision, where there is no winner by knockout in the fight, and so it goes to the judges, and the judges are not unanimous. And you you have to factor at some point that there's got to be at least a little bit of subjectivity going into who won that fight. Or even sometimes there can be a draw because there is no decision. And especially in American sports, we do not like ties or draws. Uh, You think of the World Cup that's going on. That's one of the things people say that they don't like about soccer. What's up with these draws here? Well, we're not here to talk about sports or ties or draws today, we're here to talk about really the history of the world. And as we think about the history of the world, one thing we are going to see is that when all is said and done, there will be no split decision here. There will be a clear winner. There will be a clear conqueror, and his name is Jesus Christ. And what we're looking today at Daniel 7 through 9 and Revelation 6. Uh, And we're going to, these passages will fit very nicely together for us today. We're going to look at some things in Daniel, then flip to Revelation, and then come back and conclude, Lord willing, in Daniel. And uh, as we look at this, we we see some visions in Daniel 7 and 8. Now, these are uh, not in sequential order. These go back to before Babylon was taken over by the Medes. And so this is before Daniel in the lion's den. This is before Daniel chapter 5 and the writing on the wall. And in chapters 7 and 8, we see uh, these pictures of kingdoms. And it's very clear. uh, Some things are are very clear that just about everybody agrees on, but then there's some questions about uh, what some of this may still yet mean. Uh, But in the first vision, we see these four creatures, and it's uh, clear that there comes in sequence these four kingdoms, the kingdom of Babylon, uh, and then you have this kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, and then you're going to have the Greeks with Alexander the Great, and then you're going to have the Romans. And where the debate comes in is when it talks about this future horn that is going to arise, who is that? And I think the best way to understand who that is, is uh, that it is speaking of the Antichrist, a a leader, a ruler that will figure greatly in a coming seven-year period of uh, tribulation. And we see all of this in these visions, but we come back now to the middle of the chapter, um, and we see this vision of the Ancient of Days, a picture of God. And then we see uh, really a place that's, that's critical for us to understand because it's one of Jesus's favorite titles for himself, the Son of Man. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came out like a Son of Man, and they came out one like a Son of Man. And he 
came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." Uh, And so then even when we think then about these different kingdoms, they all pass away. And even this horn that rises up, it it speaks of um, the, the, the... the saints of the Most High in verse 25 of chapter 7 being given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And I would suggest that's three and a half years. One year, time, times, two years, and half a time, a half of another year, three and a half years. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom, kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and his dominions shall serve and obey him. So there we see God is going to win. No kingdom of the earth will be able to stand before him. And then in chapter 8, we see this vision of the ram and the goat. And again, this is referring to these kingdoms really of the Medes and the Persians who will conquer the Babylonians. And then the Greeks with Alexander the Great, which will quickly conquer the world, but then his kingdom will be divided Um, and then we get to this prophecy amongst these horns that then take, uh, the, the power of, uh, the Greek kingdom, the Greek empire, there comes a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the South, toward the East. This is verse nine of chapter eight, and it grew great even to the host of heaven. And it talks about eventually in verse 11, the regular burnt offering was taken away from him and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. uh, So we see some prophetic things about sacrifices being uh, taken away, even the temple um, and things going on there. And it's clear the name Antiochus Epiphanes will come up uh, in any commentary you look, who was an evil ruler in these empires, uh, who did uh, these bad things in the temple and took away the sacrifice and and tried to make the the Jews Greek. And and there's some things when it starts talking about the end and when we put everything in the Bible together, I do think it's right to see that this Antiochus Epiphanes guy, he really is a prefiguring of the Antichrist and what he will do in times still yet to come. And when we think of that time still yet to come, we get to some of that in Daniel chapter 9, where it talks about this prophecy of 70 weeks. And there's uh, seven weeks and then 62 weeks. And then there's this one more week. And now this terms weeks uh, really means a group of seven. And I think it's clear here that these weeks are weeks of years, groups of seven years. And if you break down really the 69 weeks um, from when this is talked about going out with the decree uh, to rebuild Jerusalem, you, you can follow that exactly to Jesus Christ. Uh, and the timing there works out 
perfectly. But then there's this one more week then, that this one more group of seven, and it talks about God's purposes for that. And that's where I think the best way to understand that is that is still yet to come. It will be the seven-year period that is known as the tribulation. And that brings us to Revelation chapter 6, where we read things that I believe are going to happen during that time. And we see here that the the scroll we read about yesterday, now the seals are broken and opened. And as that happens, we see all kinds, mostly of calamitous things happening on earth. Summed up well in the fourth seal where we've seen war, we've seen famine. And here it says that there is authority given over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. But then you get into the fifth seal and it's uh, this, you, you see the Altar Under the altar, there are the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they're crying out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So they're not told, well, we'll see what we can do. No, wait a little bit longer. God has this under control. And then you start to see the beginnings of his decisive victory really in the sixth seal as it talks about the kings and of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hiding themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the land. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Uh, So when all is said and done, the ancient of days, the one who sits on the throne and the lamb, the, the son of man, they will win. No split decisions, no draws, no ties. It will be decisive. And that's important for us to remember. And again, uh, when we get into some of these things, we get into some areas where there's a lot of debate amongst Christians. And I'm concerned sometimes we might lose the forest for the trees of the timing of all these things. The big picture is God wins. And throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, we see that reality should give us hope that the kingdom that we are serving will win, right? We are not living for this world, even going all the way back to people like Abraham. We desire a better country. And someday the king will establish that country. So there's a lot of hope, I hope, uh, to be gained by our reading today as we consider the decisive victory of our Lord. Uh, But let's go back now to Daniel chapter 9 as we consider, okay, uh, what do we do in the meantime, as we wait for these things to happen, as we wait for this victory, well, that's where I would offer you the beginning part of Daniel chapter 9 as an incredible prayer. What should we be doing in the meantime? We should be interceding by prayer for the sinful world around us. We shouldn't just be sitting here waiting. Oh, well, God, just you know, uh, w- w- get this over with. No, we should be praying for the people around us. And notice well, a couple things I want you to notice. Notice how Daniel 
comes and uses first-person plural pronouns. Uh, Not to get too grammatical on you, uh, but notice Daniel, he seems like a pretty righteous guy, a guy of resolve and conviction and courage. Yet he says in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened. He includes himself. Uh, really here specifically with the people of Israel. And I think that's a good pattern for us that we should be including ourselves even in confessing to God because we uh, are not necessarily any better. Now we are transformed. We are different, but that's through the work of Christ on our own. uh, We are not better. Like Isaiah, we live amongst a people of unclean lips and we are uh, a person of unclean lips. Uh, but then we see him making his appeal. And the other thing I want you to notice from Daniel's example is how he calls out to God and really um, calls out to God's mercy. That is where his hope is. In verse 17, he says, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. And then he goes on in verse 18 to say, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And that's a great uh, example for us to follow in prayer as well, that we need to be looking to God and saying, God, I I want you to show mercy. I want you to turn around the society that I'm living in. I want to see revival. And I know, God, I cannot even begin to act like I deserve that or we deserve that. The only way that's going to happen is through your mercy. So no split decisions here. Jesus Christ wins. But what do we do until then? Well, let's follow the example of Daniel in powerful intercessory prayer for the people around us. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.